All right, we're back at it, Dad. Today, we want to go over George West Frazier. During times of revival, uh, when the Word of God is being presented and believed in a powerful way, people will not only be moved to action, but they'll be moved to sing. Hmm. And George West Frazier was one of the great songwriters, hymn writers, uh, that sprang out of the revival time, which swept through the north of Ireland, you know, other places in, the, in, the, in Ireland, and then moved over into Scotland and England in the years uh, 1858, 59, and 60. And uh, Fraser was the son of a, a police inspector with the Royal Irish Constabulatory, which was a which was a branch of the, it was like police force under the, under the ruling English, hmm. and, and uh, his, he was from Scotland originally. But his family was, but he was himself born in the western side of Ireland. So you'd have to call him an Irishman, but really he's he's from a Scottish family, and with loyalties to England. And they're members of the uh, the Church of Ireland, okay. which is the same as the Church of England, except over in Ireland. Just like the Anglicans are called Episcopalians in America, in Ireland they're called the Church of Ireland, in England they're the Church of England, or the Anglicans. So in and, Ireland it'd be the Irelicans. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's another name, and and uh, uh, Fraser. So he, he's not somebody who was raised up not knowing anything. He was raised with an orthodox view of Christianity, but he himself was not a believer. He had an older brother who became a believer, and then in his family, when George was about twenty years old, his younger brother died. And that really shook the family up. Yeah. It would be a very difficult thing, of course. Yeah, that would. To lose a sibling. And George was born in 1839. And so when he was 20 years old, that was the year of the revival. The revival was spreading all through the north of Ireland, up in the Belfast area. And there was this man named... H. Grattan Guinness. Yes, he referenced him. Previously. Yeah, Grattan Guinness. He was a uh, from the Guinness family. Although I, I it seems to me that he was not really um, involved with the brewery side of things. But he, he himself became a Presbyterian minister, and his uh, grandmother had been converted to Christ wonderfully she was suicidal and she heard a plowman singing a Christian song well when she was climbing up a, a bridge planning on throwing herself off into the valley below and she heard this message and came to Christ it's a wonderful story and and there began the Guinness side of evangelicalism and and Grattan Guinness became wonderful uh, preacher of the gospel, and at 24 years old, he was addressing gigantic crowds. And there was an auditorium down in Dublin called the Rotunda, and he was there uh, going to be preaching. And 
and George Frazier's older brother told him, hey, you ought to go and hear him. This is a great opportunity. You need this, man. Yeah, you need this. It's funny, uh, but, but Frazier had an excuse to not go. He just bought a reading lamp, and he w wanted to go home with his reading lamp and, and uh, sit with a book, not the Bible, but some other book, and read all night. And, but as they were going by the auditorium, his brother was urging him to go in, but then the people at the door said, there's no room. The place is too packed out. You can't get in, there's no room. Well, George took this as a challenge. Yeah, what, what incentive is then to hear the word can't? You can't. So he takes the reading lamp and he gives it to his brother. Look, you go on without me. And he sees a drain pipe. It's a rain, you know, one of these downspouts to catch the rain, Yeah. a drain pipe. And he shimmies up the drain pipe. And there was an open window up above <laughs> of the rotunda. And he gets up there and he straddles his way in. And he's, he has his feet there dangling inside the building, looking through that window. Not like the Eutychus of Acts chapter 20, who both fell asleep and fell out. This, this time... George Frazier, he was sitting in the window, but he stayed well awake. He, he climbed up and stayed awake. Yeah. And so there he was up in the window looking down. And from where he was sitting, he could see the expression on the faces of all the people that were looking at Grattan Guinness. Okay. And Grattan Guinness, and it was a crowded auditorium. It was really true. There was no room in the in the building. It was just crowded. So Grattan Guinness gives out his text for the night, which is Luke chapter 14, verse 22. And yet there is room. <laughs> so it's from the story about the, about the great feast. Yeah. And so there's two parables like this. One of the wedding feasts in Matthew 22, and then in Luke 14, the great feast. And, there's, and the Lord tells a story about a giant banquet. And he's sending out, and the, the, the one who's holding the banquet sends out messengers to get everyone to come in. And, and uh, they're having a hard time persuading people. And they go out and they say, yet there is room. There's still room for more. Come in. And so Grattan Guinness made this appeal. George Frazier heard some things that night that really shook him. It was not just the fact that there was a welcome, but the whole issue of, of judgment coming, of the reality of sin, and his personal need, and his own personal obligation to himself believe the gospel. Of course, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, religious views which are forever putting people to sleep, telling them, you have nothing to worry about. It's wrong for you to get too anxious. You, uh, you're, all, you're already fine. You've been baptized. You've been confirmed in the church. Your parents have said certain vows, made vows over you. Your godparents are backing you up. And you take communion. You go through the, 
sacraments or whatever those certain rituals are that the church emphasizes, you'll be fine. Yeah, you You're gra- fine. Graduated your confirmation class. Yeah, yeah, you've gone through the confirmation. So it would be wrong for you to get overly concerned. That's bad. Soul trouble is not what we want. We don't want you getting upset or thinking that the church was inadequate to meet your need. And when George heard Guinness speaking, so much of this was swept away. Hmm. He tucked his legs back through that window and shimmied down that drain pipe, a different guy. He climbed up a very proud man, and now he was not nearly so proud. And for 14 days after that, every night at home, he would get down on his knees, and he would try to pray and seek God and ask God to show him what he had to do or how he could be saved. And he was in a great consternation. Finally, around the 14th night, he thought, this is not working. I'm not getting anywhere. I've been praying and praying, and I think I should just go throw myself into the world. That's what I want to do anyway. I'm just going to throw myself into the world and just live for the things of time and forget about the concerns of eternity. But as he did that, as he thought about that, he thought, what about eternity? I can go live in the world, but it won't change the fact of my sins, about the Savior, about eternity, and judgment to come. And he resolved, as he thought about it, better for me He says, if I must perish, I am resolved to perish at his feet. If I am to perish, I am resolved to perish at his feet. Yeah, yeah. That's recorded, his actual thinking. Okay. And when he came to that place, I am perishing, there's no hope for me. Yeah. In other words, the church isn't going to save me. My own natural goodness isn't going to save me. My family's connections. George West Fraser had nine cousins who were all clergymen in the Church of Ireland. That's how religious that family was. Oh, man. I know. I mean, not deep. too many families can say that. No. That must have been a big family. But... He, uh, but right at that point, when he was just basically abandoning himself, uh, it was like an audible voice came to him. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now that's 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Very familiar verse. Maybe a verse he'd memorized. No, just like for us, we were, they were in Bible club. We would memorize verses. He probably memorized that verse. The verse came to him. And he said, that's exactly what I need. Because I am a sinner. And Christ came into the world for me to die for my sins. And he simply trusted Christ right there. Nice. In a very simple way. And he lay on his back in the bed. 
And for hours, he just rejoiced that God had redeemed him. It's like uh, David talking about meditating on his bed, on his couch. I meditate on my couch. Yeah, he was so thrilled. And then when he got up in the morning, he did finally fall asleep. He got up in the morning. He says, I got to go tell my older brother. His brother had been witnessing to him. But then he thought, oh, that thrill, that emotion, it's not there like it was last night. But then he realized, well, the thrill, the emotion isn't there, but the verse is still there. The verse is still true. And and he had assurance that, yes, in fact, he was saved. So he went on to become a real bright witness, both in his family and he would he linked up with another young guy and they'd go out and they would speak in the open air, witness in, in Dublin where they lived. He got a job at working at a bank and one of the believers that he worked with at this bank introduced him to a group of Christians in town who were not part of the, the um, uh, Church of, England, of Ireland, but actually fellowshiped with the group that C.H. McIntosh was with. Okay. And he, it landed in with C.H. McIntosh. Later on, he ended up moving into a house next door to C.H. McIntosh. Oh, wow. And they were very close. And McIntosh called him his son by adoption. Oh. He wasn't led to Christ through McIntosh, but they were very close. And McIntosh virtually uh, had a hand in his spiritual maturing right along. So the beautiful thing then about about uh, George Fraser was that he began to write hymns. And one of his hymns was this one, God's house is filling fast, yet there is room. Some soul will be the last, yet there is room. Yes, soon salvation's day from you will pass away. Then grace no more will say, yet there is room. That's it's actually a song. It's in some of the old hymn books. Yet there is room. He wrote a lot of great, uh, great, po- great poetry. Some of it very worshipful. Like he wrote a poem, On that same night, Lord Jesus, when all around thee joined, to cast its darkest shadow across thy holy mind. We hear thy voice, blessed Savior, this do remember me with joyful hearts responding. We do remember thee. That was one of his poems. He wrote a lot of great poetry. The throne of grace surrounding in Jesus' peerless name. Supply for need abounding with confidence we claim. It's all about prayer, worship, the gospel, yeah, and I, I, I just love to read his poetry. Of course, Fraser isn't a well-known poet to some, and I wouldn't call his poetry of the highest level. It's not like the poetry of Francis Ridley Havergal or, or um, Horatio Bonar or Samuel Trevor Francis, but it's good poetry. It's not the greatest, but it's good, mm-hmm. and a lot of the songs are very singable. Uh, so he, he lived until uh, 19, 18, 1896. He was only 56 when he became really ill. 
he had an operation. The operation was not successful. And in the months that followed, he died. Oh, no. Yeah. He's a relatively young man. But he had written quite a bit of poetry. And uh, uh, it would be nice to see some of those, those books of poetry republished. Or other poets like John G. Deck, mm-hmm. who uh, was a great hymn writer. And like George West Frazier wrote at that time, uh, uh, Francis Ridley Havergal, uh, her poems might likely be in print, but many of these, many of these people like Samuel Trevor Francis and uh, Horatia Bonar, yeah. most of their poems are not really available. And I have bound volumes in my library, collections of their hymns, but I'm pretty sure that they're no longer in print. Okay. And I would like to see that in print. I think it would be a great set because they were all writing poetry at the same time and very much of the same mindset. Would it would it be in the ether on the interwebs where someone could access it? Or is this something that yeah. the Banner of Truth printed, you know, no. eighty years ago and No, no, no. I, I think it could be I think uh, someone would have to be scanned in. It's it's all beyond copyright. Yeah. Once something is so we need se- written 75 years after the death of the author, okay. then it is copyright-free. Except for Disney. It's public domain stuff. Okay. Now, as to that, though, when you do a quality edition of something where you have good footnotes and a good intro or the index, the appendices, the intro, all those things are copyrighted with your edition. Oh, okay. So if we do like a really, really good edition of Calvin's Institutes, we can copyright it again. Right. Our version. Right. Some, we, something like that. Your edition is copyrighted. Yeah, okay. That is, if you enter certain, um, say if you correct typos from the original edition, and you say, well, the, these typos entered into the the old edition, we've corrected that, and and then you have articles okay. in there. Some legal team at Thomas Nelson. It's like yes. Yeah. So so these, as far as you know, that these writings, this poetry is not on the interwebs. It's not on the internet. Um. Some of some of West uh, uh, George West Fraser's. Poems are available. I know, okay. I know they are, but I don't think they all are. There's no link I could put in the notes of this. Well, they in, sometimes I find it hard to search out things. Yeah, I look, but I, uh, I only get so far. Okay. So maybe if a person were better skilled, they could find this stuff. Have Google translated to Scottish? Maybe it'll. Find yeah, it. there are people who are really working hard to make the old hymns available, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I I'm unaware. Okay. I'm unaware of it. Now Google, of course, has made it one of their goals to, in a way, take possession of all of these old out of print books yep. and to make them available. So maybe Google has it. Okay. They may have, and they're they don't seem to care whether it's a Christian book or a pagan book or what kind of book it is. Okay. Nice. Well. Take that as a personal challenge if you're listening to this. 
Yeah. But if you're interested, go figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my, my first boss, my boss back in the, that was a rule. Figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So Macintosh had George West Frazier under his wing and he he was like the servants at the marriage of Canaan. Jesus said, pour the water into the vessels. And that's what a, a real mentor will do. He fills you hmm. with the water. But then he has to pray that God will turn the water into wine. <laughs> so it's not enough just to give people a lot of information or to give them a lot of Bible teaching. God needs to work a miracle. And for George West Frazier, we think that did happen. Nice. He became a very fruitful, energetic uh, a servant of God. And it all began in the revival time, that revival time. And so when you go back in the history, you find out that there was a lot of good fruit from the revival time of 1858, 59, 60. Okay. Yeah. And it, it continued on in a ways after that. But if you go back into Spurgeon's uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle and Park Street Ministry, and you go look at the dates mm -hmm. when he spoke, and he'll be referring to uh, the remarkable work that's going on. Okay. He'll be talking about that. And, and other... Uh, <laughs> the fact that Irish people can get saved... I am shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's a great thing when you, you see self-righteous people getting converted and and people who are overly pious yeah. and very proud people, proud people getting converted. So this That's is, what's marvelous. This is mid-1800s. When did the Chicago fire happen? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good Was that in the 1870s? Maybe. So, so Moody's around. He's moving and shaking as well. Or no? You know, Moody came over to England and Ireland after the Chicago fire. Oh, okay. And he was on a fundraising trip. Yeah, he was aggressive on that. He was, all, he was a great promoter. Yeah. It was while he was over uh, in Ireland that he met guys like in England, where he met guys like Harry Morehouse. Okay. And uh, there was a bunch of guys mm -hmm. who were uh, street preachers. It, uh, there was uh, Josh the Fiddler. He was a guy who would be a street musician. And Harry Morehouse had been a carnival barker. Really? But also a street fighter. And, and there was... Uh, former boxers and and uh, uh, there's a whole crew of these guys who knew one another preached together yeah and and they had this very familiar way of speaking very much in touch with the common people hmm. but a beautiful simple way of expressing the word of god and that had a great influence on dl moody and through that influence dl moody came in touch with fc bland who had been converted under the ministry of C.H. McIntosh. Okay. And he was pretty much tutored under C.H. McIntosh. Yeah. Just like George Fraser had been. Okay. 
And it was Bland who turned Moody on to Macintosh's writings. Yep. Like his writings on the Pentateuch. Nice, nice. Yeah, trying to find historic perspective. So we have... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Frazier learning under Macintosh. In the... Moody, if you go back and you read his sermons, yeah. you realize this guy was no simpleton. He had very powerful things to say. And there are books of his... Uh, messages, his gospel messages. When, when Moody would go to St. Louis or go out and preach in Philadelphia or some town, they, the local papers would print his entire sermon on the second page of the newspaper. You'd open up the newspaper, the whole second page of the wow. newspaper would be Moody's sermon from the night before. Nice. Remarkable. Yeah. Now we'd be like, ah, oh, that newspaper is targeting me. I printed my sermon for everyone to read. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a great thing. So D.L. Moody had a powerful message. Yeah, he he was a strong, forceful preacher. Now was Fraser a preacher or mainly a poet? He he learned. He, he was ministered. a poet. He was a songwriter, but he did a lot of preaching. He was. Okay. One of these guys who, after he'd worked for a while in the bank, he was busy going out in the street, speaking on street corners, talking to little crowds as he could gather them. And then he, he decided, well, the doors are opening, there's more and more opportunities. And then he just went out full time and was spending all of his time going out preaching. Hmm. That's all he did. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So he learned under Macintosh. Well, let's take a break. I think we have a lull in our speech. Break. Yeah. All right, we're back. Um, we're going to wrap up what we know about George W. Frazier. The great thing to, to know about many of the great hymn writers of the 1800s was that they were earnest about expressing doctrinal ideas in their songs. And we, we believe this is a very wholesome and a good thing, that we don't want to be so so vague in our thinking so that we wouldn't offend anybody by what we're saying in our hymns. And there are some songs which they could be sung by a Jewish rabbi or a, a Muslim imam, as well as by a, a, a Roman Catholic audience or a Protestant audience, wouldn't much matter because they're stating such basic things such as God created the world or God is great. And, and, we, and, and they'll repeat certain phrases about God, which everybody agrees on, and that's great, and there's a place for that, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. For instance, uh, it's been said that the, the so-called uh, Lord's Prayer can be prayed by almost any religious persuasion. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in it which is essentially offensive to any of the major religious persuasions. And, and uh, so, you know, who's to complain about Psalm 23? They read it and they say, yeah, that's all good. But then there are songs which express the unique doctrines of the evangelical faith. That is the penal substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. Mm. That Christ died as a payment for our sins. He was more than a 
than an example for us, but he made a payment or the idea of assurance of salvation or the idea of the, the heavenly hope, the blessed hope of the Christian, the assurance that we have of ultimately being in heaven. Yeah. Some of these things are unique to not only Protestantism, but they're, they're, they're unique to the evangelical movement that sprang up in the 1800s. And that's really what George West Fraser did, was he would express in a particular way a lot of the unique and remarkable doctrines which were creating such a stir. And I, I, just, I want to endorse that kind of thing. I think it's very good. Yeah. Also, we mentioned that his books, his poetry was made available in different books. And so there are three books of his poetry. Midnight Praises, Day Dawn Praises, and the third book, The Day Spring. The Day Spring, Day Dawn Praises, and Midnight Praises. Yep, yep. And those three books have his his uh, poems, and and they're also in some of the older hymn books, like uh, little hymns for the little flock or hymns for the poor of the flock, would have the poor of the flock. That was the priest uh, precursor to hymns for the little flock. Nice. And that hymn book, hymns for the little flock, would be available would be familiar to some of us because Watchman Nee adopted that hymn book. They had it translated, I think, into Cantonese. And they used it in the movement that Watchman Nee was involved in. And because they were using that hymn book, they called the movement the Little Flock. Interesting. I've seen Little Flock churches. And I'm like, yo, what's up, man? And they're like, no, we're our separate little group. It's oh. interesting, yeah. We have a lot in common, but they're their own little distinct. Are they Watchman Nee churches? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're connected Kind of, they're heavily influenced by his teaching. Huh. So, yeah. interesting. Because there's this, this non-denominational, as we talked about a while ago, this anti-denominational, you know, we're our own little group. Well, that's that's what it is. Oh. So, they're not Witness Lee churches. No, no. Because he's the guy in Canada who sues people, right? If you, he'll probably, guess, he'll probably sue us if he hears us. Uh, yeah, Witness Lee, he... Call him out for being a heretic, he'll sue you. He was... Uh, Headquartered out of Taiwan for a while, and then came over here, and and uh, I I don't really know much about the Witness Lee movement. Oh, okay, but I know that he had at one time had a contact or a connection with with which with Watchman Nee. Interesting. They were Ch- Chinese, of okay. course, both of them. So yeah, George Frazier's songs would be in sorry, rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Some of his <laughs> hymns would be in the hymns for the little flock. And also in Believer's Hymn Book, which is an old country hymn book. And you all also heavily used here in Canada and the United States. Okay. Hymns now, for, now uh, the Little Flock Hymn Book and the Believer's Hymn Book, are they not quite similar? Uh, well, the, the order in which they come is this. The hymns for the poor of the flock okay. came out, I think, in the 1850s. Okay. Then... In 1881 or so, the hymns uh, uh, for the little flock 
that was that came out okay. then, and it was um, edited by G. V. Wigram and John Darby, okay. pretty much. And I think it it was a, originally the hymns for the poor of the flock. Also, I think might it might have been Wigram and Darby's work then too. Okay. But they later added to it and brought more hymns into it. Little flock. Now soon it'll be the medium-sized flock. <laughs> so then, around the turn of the previous century, okay. some believers in England felt that they there were a lot of other hymns that were not included in Little Flock, and they came up with a separate hymn book called the Believer's Hymn Book. Okay. Now, maybe there were some hymns they thought shouldn't be in the Little Flock, but they... Uh, uh, the Believer's Hymn Book is a really great hymn, hymn book yeah. for the time. And later on, there was a, uh, a brother named T.B. Gilbert, who interestingly had married a gal who was a, uh, in the Kraft family, the Kraft cheese family. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, she, and uh, she had inherited money from that family. And so T.B. Gilbert was well off situated. And he got together different talented, capable men like Will Pell from Grand Rapids, where I live, okay. where we live yeah. here, and and uh, Alfred P. Gibbs, oh yeah, and other other prominent Christian leaders, and they put together some hymn books, and one of them was Hymns of Worship and Remembrance, which was very much tailored after the Hymns of the Little. Flock, hymns for the end of the Believer's Hymn Book. Okay, but they added music. Yeah, they have, they have, the the other hymn books were like many of the old-time hymn books. A little psalter. Yeah, like if you get an old, old Lutheran hymn book, the Concordia hymn book, they might have produced one, an edition with the music in it, Mm four-part harmony, but they would also produce a book which would only have the lyrics in it. Yeah, it might it might have the name of the tune, which is usually goes with it, or the meter of the song okay. at the top. And the Baptist hymn books were the same way, and uh, the Methodist hymn books. I have some of these old old hymn books mm-hmm. from the seventeen and eighteen hundreds, and they were all pretty much that way. Okay. So that people would have a small hymn book like a pocket testament about the same size as a pocket New Testament. And they would carry that with them to church. And the person who played the organ or the piano, they would have the music with the notes in it. Okay. They would have the hymn book with the notes. Okay. And and so that was very common, that the people in the congregation would own their own hymn book and bring it with them to church. And and so that, that was uh, just the way it was done. And, and, and so the little flock and the Believer's Hymn Book don't have any notes, no musical notes. Mm-hmm. They have listed the meter of the song. And so like it's common meter, short meter, peculiar meter. Okay. Yeah. And, and then uh, when the hymns of worship and remembrance came out, that had the whole music in it like all of our common hymn books do. Yeah. And then they also produced Choice Hymns of the Faith, and then they came out with another, the same committee 
came out with a third hymn book called of uh, Hymns of Truth and Praise. Okay, which one's the blue book? Choice Hymns? Choice Hymns is the okay. blue book, and, the, and then a the red book. All the songs book. are start out really high. Huh? The blue book, all the songs are set really high, I think. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. We have. I think we have it. We don't use it. We yeah, there's a discussion books. about how the old hymn books were pitched in such a way that the way we pitch, we, the way we tune our pianos today is different oh. than the way it used to be. And so if, if, the, if the songs are not wise to that, the way they're written in the book, yeah. then they're hard to sing. Okay. Or a little harder to sing. Yeah. And that's maybe a discussion by itself, but um, that's one of the problems you have with the old hymns, hmm. that they haven't been adjusted to the way the pianos are being tuned. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's good. Yeah, I hear that beef a lot. Oh, these songs, they start too high. All these songs are too high. <laughs> have some other hymn book, a lot of Gaither song hymn book type thing. And they'll be a lot more singable because they start off more singable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For those of us who are unpracticed on our vocal acrobatic abilities, well, it takes a little bit of work. If you're going to sing the old old hymns, you've got to work <clears throat> at it, and maybe that means that you've that you have to give an explanation. Maybe you need to edit them a little bit, yeah. In the sense in which some of the wording is inaccessible, yeah, or the poetry is, or uh, um, or you have to look at the music and say, "Is this mu How is this music being written?" Save us, Keith and Kristen Getty. No. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, good deal. So Fraser wrote those songs. Yeah. There's some you can still access, probably through a used bookstore, probably not on the the interwebs. Or you could get those books through. Uh, What's another old school publisher? There's Loazzo. I don't know if they're around. Who's the one out of Illinois? The, the yeah, Loazzo, I think, exists as an entity. Okay. But they're not, I don't know that they are actively printing anything these days. What's the Illinois one? Um, uh, they, they pop out of Danville, the, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do I not know this? Whatever. There's one out of Illinois. There's the guys down in Belchase, Louisiana. Yeah, and yeah. And there's Banner of Truth, which is more pres. A lot of pres. A lot of reform books come out of them. Yeah, but I wonder well, if they would have a touch on some of this. Well, as far as the printers that would be printing things favorable to the position doctrinally that George West Fraser held, mm -hmm. that would be. Places like Bible Truth Publishers Bible out of Truth. Addison, Illinois, That's what I'm thinking about. a suburb, I think, of Chicago, and uh, Chapter 2 in England, uh, uh, the Believer's Bookshelf, I think that's maybe, maybe it's in Pennsylvania or Canada, okay. and then Gospel Folio Press, John Ritchie, the Gospel Perpetuating Fund, that's out of Bell Chase, and... Uh, there are these little publishers, mm -hmm. and some of them you could operate out of your basement. They're just little outfits, and they don't. Many of them don't have a full editorial process going on. They simply have a few titles they continue to make okay. available. Nice. Um, 
Gospel Folio Press would be a more serious publisher. Uh, Emmaus, through Emmaus Worldwide, okay. they publish a correspondence school, and they're a more serious publisher. Yeah, they're pumping out a new hymn book, Anthem Hymnal. Anthem Hymns? Yeah. I, I uh, pre-ordered a copy. I think I pre-ordered it. I'm on the email. I got yeah, it. I want to see a copy of yeah. that, too. And I noticed that they have a lot of good hymns by Horatio Bonar and some of the, the great the great hymns of the past. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so excited. I was pleased to see that. Yeah, I'm very excited. And and several, quite a few, um, you know, more in our li- in our lifetime hymn writers. Yeah. Which is just good. Like to, Stuart Townsend and the Gettys and so on. Yeah. Yeah, right. Good deal. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, another really exciting thing is... Uh, 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 Steve Holsheiser's nephew, he got very excited about, and he's a very capable, musically capable guy, who is um, has has a kind of a website okay. for music, and that is that is an exciting thing. Okay, so if we get that, we'll throw it in the notes or something. It's called Saint Serving, uh, and Saint he serving. yeah, and. They go and help folks. They'll they'll amass a group of skilled skilled contractors and send them over to you know mm. Guatemala. Well, what's that? No, no, no. no. That's um, home. That's workers abroad. Workers abroad. Okay, different. Yeah, Saint Serving is the name of the website. Oh, okay. And and uh, and they have a lot of good Christian music. Nice. But it's mainly older hymns. Yeah. Older hymns. Good deal. All right, so George W. Frazier. Let's wrap it up. We're wrapping it up. Mm-hmm. Any final words before I close this down? Mid-1800s, well, skilled poet. Yeah, 1839 to 1896. He was converted during the revival time. Went on to become uh, a very useful and helpful songwriter and it shows us how that it's not enough to believe the right thing you need to not only believe it you need to understand it you need to feel it and that there's a real place for emotion in the Christian life and the songs that we sing are an emotional outlet for believers hmm. and and if, to, to ignore that side of the Christian life is a great fault because it's when people come to deeply feel what they've come to believe that they then act upon those truths and are moved to do something about them. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to encourage that all that we can. All right. That's a, that's a wrap. Thank you so much. And we'll continue on on another subject at another time. <laughs>